To conclude this program, we return to the session with Drs. Greco and Lynch and a case presented by Dr. Leonard Siegel. This is a 69-year-old white male, has a 15-pack year smoking history, quit in 1968. In 1987, he had a myocardial infarction without sequelae. He's an ECOG-1. He did well until March of this year when he presented with hemoptysis. CT scan defined an ill-defined right upper lobe mass with obstructive pneumonitis. He also were noted to have several nodes in the mediastinum at the level of the carina, all were less than a centimeter in diameter. He had an interesting CT PET in the right upper lobe. It showed very intense uptake proximally, and then corresponding with the infiltrate, there was fainter or lower SUVs. The proximal SUVs were 6.1, and distally was much less intense. The mediastinum actually was negative on PET. He had a bronchoscopy that revealed no endobronchial lesions and brushings, washings, and biopsies were negative. He went on the mediastinoscopy. He had multiple anthrocotic lymph nodes. However, biopsy of one of the nodes revealed adenocarcinoma. So we had a very difficult discussion with him at tumor board. The surgeons were very gung-ho that he received neoadjuvant chemotherapy and radiation and then take him on to surgery. The radiation oncologists were pushing for definitive chemo radiation. And this is actually an issue that we have a lot of difficulty with our tumor board, selecting which 3A patients that you've identified histologically up front should receive definitive chemo radiation and which should receive chemo radiation to 45 and then go on the surgery. So what was his T stage? I can't recall. It was difficult to measure the tumor because he had that obstructing lesion and then diffuse infiltrate distally. Okay. Tom? I share your concern of the difficulty in knowing how to manage someone like this. I think that, and they biopsied during the mediastinoscopy, several nodes were biopsied, but one came back positive? Right, and the rest were anthrocotic. Okay, and the location of the node that was positive? I someplace in the mediastinoscopy. Don't remember. Okay. No, it, it, the, reason you, the reason you don't remember is often we don't know. We're not okay. told where it is. So I think in someone with N2 disease, this probably is the area of least agreement in terms of what to do in thoracic oncology, I would argue. I think if you come from an institution that has a strong thoracic surgical background, you're probably going to be doing more surgery in this setting than if you come from an institution that has mostly cardiac surgeons who don't do a lot of thoracic. I think the data strongly supports either chemoradiotherapy, definitive chemoradiotherapy with no surgical option. But I also think there's a very strong argument that can be made in good functional patients. And this guy sounds like he's a pretty good functional patient for induction chemoradiotherapy followed by surgery. I think you can also make an argument for induction chemotherapy followed by surgery. And with a single node, you can probably even make an argument for surgery followed by adjuvant chemotherapy. Though what makes me think not surgery as the primary treatment in this person is that the T3 nature of the tumor suggests locally aggressive disease. I probably wouldn't do that. What we would do at Mass General is he would get chemoradiotherapy to 45 gray and would get surgery. The only exception would be, since this was a right-sided lesion, if he required a right pneumonectomy, as long as that decision is made up front, then I think that that patient might have just gotten definitive chemorads. The only thing that I think is wrong in managing N2 disease is saying, let's give them some chemorads 
and then make our decision. Then we'll see what goes on. So you give 45 gray with whatever your favorite chemo is, you assess, and then you make the decision, surgery, no surgery. Well, the problem is you don't usually make that assessment until two weeks after, three weeks after chemo rads finishes. And if you decide not to operate, you're basically signing the death certificate that day. Whereas if in the beginning you said no surgery, we're going to treat them to 66 or 70 gray, then you have a chance of curing that patient. So I think the most important thing is to make sure that decision is made before the chemo radiation starts and not after 45 gray to see what kind of response they have. Tony? I have very little to add. I agree with Tom. This is a dilemma. You could go either way. I think the bronchoscopy suggests that this is infiltrative tumor down in his lung rather than infection. I mean, the bronchus was open. It wasn't obstructed. So that supports tumor rather than, which argues for the point of definitive chemoradiation. You have to respect the people who send you patients, particularly when you don't know yourself. And if the surgeons are strongly want to do this, I might go the neoadjuvant approach. The other thing, I think he might benefit from a mutational study. He hasn't smoked since 1968. He might be a patient that has a mutation, which could be important therapeutically. Tom, what do we know about oligo smokers, people who've quit in the past, you know, a small number of pack years in response to erlotinib? So smoking is the single best clinical predictor of response to erlotinib. It's also the single best predictor of who might have a mutation. Someone who's an oligo less than 10 pack years is the group we think of as the minimal to light smokers. 15, it's a continuum. So this person's going to have a higher chance of having a mutation and having a response to erlotinib uh, than somebody who had a 45 pack year smoking history. So is that helpful to you, Leonard? Yeah. Actually, what'd you do? Well, we decided that he was going to go to surgery. So we got cisplatinum VP16. And actually, this week he went to surgery. And I wasn't planning on presenting the case. I don't have the pathology okay. exactly in my mind, but he did have additional mediastinal nodes. I can't remember the size of the primary. So then the question comes up, what to do now? I was planning, if he recovers well, to give him a couple of more cycles of systemic chemotherapy. Tony, what would you do? Well, he has residual disease in his mediastinum. His prognosis is very poor. I would consider using an alternative form of chemotherapy, perhaps third-generation variety, and might even consider adding Avastin in there now. I mean, he has essentially metastatic disease. At least I view it that way. It's an aggressive approach, and if his mutation status was positive, I'd probably follow it up with Tarceva as well. When you said that the decision about surgery or no surgery has to be made on day one, yes, rather than after four weeks of 4,500 rads of treatment, is it because the analysis for subsequent surgery may take a few weeks and there's a delay? Yes. It's because of the delay. If you have a system that's that good that you can do a PET-CT on a Friday and get your surgeon to make a decision on Monday, okay, they probably have less objections. I've just never seen that happen. Even with the most well-meaning centers, that just doesn't happen. The other issue is how valuable is a PET-CT after four weeks of chemoradiotherapy? It's still going to be positive. So I think that the surgeon really can make the same decision on day one that he or she is going to make at the end of week five, in the my opinion. scan's not good enough? I think CAT scan's helpful, but I mean, it's what's the surgeon really looking for? And our surgeons tell us the same thing. Give some chemoradiotherapy, see what happens. But it's not just your surgeons that do that. And I argue with the surgeon that what are you really looking for? What's going to change your mind about whether this person's operable? If everything magically goes away, well, that doesn't happen in lung cancer. Wow. You know, so we know that's not going to happen. Growth will change his mind. Progression could change his mind. That yeah. is true. And, and if there's progression, then we've lost a chance for cure. And then the three-week delay doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. 
I'm less firm about, although I think it's a reasonable approach, I'm not thoroughly convinced that a split course of radiation with concurrent chemotherapy is inferior to just continuous radiation. So if that's true, then having that delay and then deciding not to do surgery and then go back to radiation and more chemotherapy may not be compromising the patient's prognosis. May not be. Now, he may be right if a split course is inferior, but I don't think we have that data with chemoradiation. Split course isn't as good plain radiation, but that data comes from years ago. Our surgeon feels that he would prefer not to operate on somebody who's had combined modality neoadjuvant therapy and prefers only chemotherapy. Do you feel... As I said in the beginning, you're totally justified to do that as well. So I don't think... I think it's very hard to be dogmatic. It's interesting. One of the most common comments we get about our audio programs is how reassured people feel when they hear faculty struggling. I see people shaking their heads around here because, you know, it's really important for people in practice to know that there are situations out there where nobody really knows exactly what to do. But I think to try to paint a picture of the sort of the umbrella of what might be considered is actually very helpful. I don't know, Leonard, does this help no, you? That's helpful. Yeah, the problem with this CT PET restaging is, is at least our nuclear medicine department wants the patient off chemotherapy for at least two weeks before they'll do the PET. So then it's another two weeks and then we're getting out there. Right. And then... I think a lot of times with the CAT scan, we still see a lot of residual disease, and then when they take it out, a lot of it's now necrotic. So I don't usually find that the four-week CAT scan very helpful. 